Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. And this is our second hour this morning. And delighted that you've chosen to spend some time with me here today. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. My guest on the Shell Pintel performance line that will include Brian Winhorst in just a minute. One of my favorite NBA insiders. We've had a really good uh, show this morning. We talked to Richard Jefferson. He responded to Scottie Pippen's response to Richard Jefferson. All of that, I think, is much ado about nothing, which is what most social media discourse is, and that's what I mostly like about it. So that, I think, was all good. We'll talk about Tom Seaver in a little while, one of the true icons of sports that we lost yesterday at the age of 75. We will talk about a surprising hiring today, and we'll talk about a team that I think won the Super Bowl yesterday. So I have all of that and more in the hopper. But I will right now uh, catch you up on where I began the show this morning. I hated, hated both calls last night. I hated the foul on Dragic, and I hated the foul on Giannis. And I just took some calls. We're not, in fact, we're going to start a new segment on this show. We're, we're figuring this thing out as we go along here, and I'm so glad for everybody's contribution and everyone's thoughts. I'm going to start something called Change My Mind, because I do consider myself to be an open-minded person. And I took a few phone calls from people who raised some pretty good points disagreeing with my take that both calls last night were terrible. And the best ones that I heard were this, these two. One, that that call was made all year. The call on on Drogic where um, Middleton jumps right into him and Drogic is standing still straight up with his hands in the air and never moves. That they've been giving shooters that call all year long. I understand that and it's a good point. I still believe you have to take into account the situation. Dragic is basically, his job in that situation has got to be to turn and run the other way if they're going to call that foul on him. And then, again, by the letter of the law, you're Giannis, you put your hand on Butler as you go by. I understand the rule says that's a foul. But with zero seconds left in a playoff game, I think an exception can be made. That's me. I know some people disagree. Let's find out what Wendy thinks. He's one of my favorites. Again, Brian Winhorst is with me on the Shell Penzo performance line. Wendy, your thoughts on the two big calls at the end of the game last night, Milwaukee and Miami. I feel like I'm one of the few people in the media that is a standard defender of officiating. I think that comes from the fact that my father was a longtime uh, umpire and basketball referee. Uh, I do stories on them. I know many of the officials. I communicate with them. Um, so it is with that background I can say that I agree with you. Uh, I don't believe either one of those calls should be made. Um, and the only reason I was able to sort of walk away from that situation feeling like it's okay is because I think the correct team won. Miami should have won that game, and they did win the game. And I hated both calls, and I heard what Steve Javi said, and I'm not going to argue with him on that. It's just like uh, two nights ago, Jason Tatum, uh, in a four-point game with less than a minute, did an air punch, and the referee called a technical. It is true that an air punch is an automatic technical, spirit of the law in a four-point playoff game with less than a minute to play. And I think that any official would tell you uh, that the spirit of the law is often vitally important. And that's why they have the most veteran officials out there for these games, because it's that line of nuance in those gray areas that you have to deal with. Yes, I'm so glad you said every word of that, because the letter of the law every now and again, like I think officiating is art 
and we try and make it into a science. That's a, a distinction I point out a lot. The, the difference between something's science and some things are an art. And I think officiating these games, there is an art to it. And, and the great officials know how to do that and know that they understand the, the, the magnitude of the moment. Like to me, and I think Miami was going to win the series anyway, but to me, that's over. The minute that Butler free throw sort of rattles around and goes in, I feel like the MVP and the Bucks are done. Wendy, do you give them, what chance do you give them coming all the way back and winning four out of five? Well, Miami is the better team. Uh, and they're the better playoff team, I think is the better way to say it. Um, I've been around covering the NBA now for 17 years. And so my tug of experience says, sir, do not declare a series over after two games. So I -hmm. will refrain from doing that. Having said that, this reminds me so much, Greeny, of the 2009 conference finals. LeBron James on a 66-win Cavs team. He had claimed his first MVP. There was no question uh, about his status as MVP, but that was a flawed Cavs team, and they had struggled against the Orlando Magic all year long, and despite those 66 wins, the Magic walked into that series very confident, and they won that series in six games um, and would have won it in five games had LeBron not made one of the greatest shots of his career hitting a buzzer beater, and this reminds me so much of that situation right down to the fact that that was a great regular season team with a world-class regular season player in LeBron James who had not yet learned how to lead a team. He was great in that series, by the way. They didn't lose that series because of him. Um, But he had not yet learned how to lead a team uh, to a championship level. And that just reminds me of this so much, and it's depressing because I know living in Cleveland at that time that every, every day on the calendar that passed, the pressure of the LeBron free agency grew. And that is what I am starting to... You can feel it in the force. And so I opened the door for the Bucks to do it, but I'm looking at them, and just like in 2009, when I knew the Magic were the better team, I see the Heat as the better team. That's a really good analogy. We'll see. We could be looking at Boston and Miami on one side of the draw, and the two L.A. teams now will get started on the other side. Wendy is with me. And then there was the news right as we were wrapping up Get Up today um, that came across that the Brooklyn Nets made what I think can only be described as a very surprising outside-the-box hire They hire Steve Nash, two-time MVP, Hall of Famer, with no coaching experience as their new head coach. I want you to hear what Jay Will said about it. Jay Will is very close to the Nets. You know he's very close to Durant. He had this to say on our morning show, KJZ. Here was Jay Will. Look, the reality comes down to who ultimately will Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving trust? They had to put their stamp on this relationship in order for it to come to fruition. I originally thought this was going to be Ty Lue's job to lose. But ultimately, I like this Steve Nash hire. And you have Steve Nash, who has a great affiliation with Kevin, worked out with Kevin, doing a lot of player developmental stuff with the Golden State Warriors when Kev was out there in the Bay. And that relationship ultimately, as a point guard respect level with Kyrie, I'm shocked, but I love the move. All right, so Jay Will loves the moves. Wendy, what do you think of it? I think Sean Marks, the general manager, had to thread uh, a needle through a through a narrow eye because um, he had to hire somebody, as Jay Will said, that would. I, I'm not saying that Durant and Kyrie had to put a stamp of approval on it, 
But if they didn't have respect for that person from day one, it was not going to have a chance. And by the way, in my view, this is one of the hardest coaching jobs in the league because there's enormous expectation and you have two players that are going to be hard to coach, not because they're petulant or they're subversive, but because the nature of who they are, the nature of their personalities, they're going to be a challenge to coach together. So Sean Marks had to get somebody that they would trust and B, get somebody who he had a positive relationship with. He couldn't just hire who they wanted. And I'm sure, and look, he made the coaching change back in February. So he's had, my gosh, um, six months to figure out this move. And I'm sure he went through numerous scenarios. And so he found a guy who has the respect. He found a guy who he has a relationship with. They were teammates on the seven seconds or less sons. And he found a guy who... Um, you know, is going to is going to sort of make a splash, which is important in New York. And they care in Brooklyn about connecting with the community. And Steve Nash has lived at times in his life in Brooklyn. The thing is, is that you're rolling the dice with a guy who's never been a head coach before. Um, there is a long history of these types of hires from Steve Kerr to Derek Fisher to Mark Jackson, um, you know, to Isaiah Thomas. Some of them have been successful. A Jason Kidd. Some of them have been successful and some of them have not. I have no idea how it's going to go, but I understand how they got here. One of the first things you said there is the one I agree with the most. There's enormous pressure because if Kevin Durant is all the way back healthy, and that's a bad injury, so we can only hope that he comes all the way back to being the extraordinary player that he is, probably the second best player in the world. If he comes all the way back to that, then in my opinion, anything short of the NBA Finals is a disappointment. Look at the East right now. Look at Toronto. This is a team that lost Kawhi. They had a magnificent season, but they're on the verge of losing here, and they're certainly not outstanding. Look at Milwaukee. They're in trouble. They're clearly flawed around the MVP and Giannis. Boston is good. Miami is Who, who is it that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving won't be expected to beat next year? So to me, Wendy, if those guys are healthy, the bar is set at NBA Finals for the Nets, and that is a very tough expectation. And I think that they should go for that because you don't know how long these guys are going to be healthy for. They are healthy now. They're going to be healthy coming into next season. So one of the things that is believed out there is that the Nets may be in the market to make a big trade this summer. Some teams, because of the financial challenges of next season, are not going to have a lot of flexibility. Well, Joseph Tsai, the owner of the Nets, is one of the richest men in the world. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, he liquidated $3 billion in stock. People were so curious as to why he did it. They thought he might be buying the, uh, trying to buy the New York Mets. But this is a guy who does not have financial challenges. He can go forward with it. So I say even with the inexperienced head coach, for the reasons that you just said, for the, in, the, uh, the, the, the window that might be opening in the Eastern Conference, I think you go for it with a healthy two young stars and see if you can steal a championship in 2021. I'd see what they do. Wendy with me here on ESPN Radio on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. One more for you. Rockets win last night. Harden has a terrible offensive game, but makes up for it with the huge block at the end. And so now they get LeBron and the Lakers. Do you give the Rockets and their small ball and their superstars, you give them any real chance against L.A.? Well, not if James Harden's going to play like that. Um, and this has now become a trend. Harden has an issue um, 
with, with these with this high level clutch situations. But I will say this: the Rockets were designed exactly to give the Lakers a team like the Lakers problems. They are going to turn it into an all wing game. They are going to try to force uh, Javale McGee and Dwight Howard completely out of the rotation and make the Lakers wings who are not on an average basis as good as the as the wings of the of the Lakers have to match up all across the court. That is what the grand experiment is about is to beat this. Having said that, Greeny, this is a golden opportunity for Anthony Davis. This is the series he has been waiting his whole career for. He is bigger, he is stronger, he is completely ready uh, and has advantages all over the place. This should be an Anthony Davis series where he grabs the reins and says, Houston, you don't have a matchup for me. I am designed to beat your small ball. I'm going to have a a series where I average 38 points and 15 rebounds and I'm going to break your back and break your strategy and send you back to the drawing board. If that Anthony Davis shows up, and it's an if, because it could go either way, this will be a short series. If he doesn't, and James Harden comes back and starts putting up 45, 50-point games again, the Lakers are going to feel some stress. Wendy, it's always such a pleasure. First time here, but it will not be the last on the new show. I appreciate it. I'll see you soon. Thank you, Brian Winhorst. Have a great day. Now that's Wendy with me. He's really good. His insight is outstanding, and he's willing to give you a lot of opinion. Greeny, and I want to let you know this is your last chance at summer savings with Dell's Labor Day sale. Get up to $300 off some of the newest XPS and Alienware computers powered by Intel Core processors, plus save on tech like Samsung TVs, all with free shipping. So here's how you get a hold of them. Just call them at one 800 buy dell That's B-U-Y-D-E-L-L, 1-800-BY-DELL. All right, it's a huge day. There's so much going on. Obviously, the basketball is at the center of most of it. There was a huge move made in the NFL yesterday as well. Leonard Fournette to the Buccaneers, to me, is a massive acquisition for Tampa Tom. You talking about Tom Brady in Tampa now with, I think it is safe to say, the best collection of talent on the offensive side that he has ever had. Here's a guy who's won six Super Bowls. And even including the year that he had Randy Moss and Wes Welker. Yes, Moss was better than any individual person on the Bucks, maybe better than any individual person ever. But you're talking about Mike Evans and Godwin. You're talking about three-headed tight end, including his favorite target in Gronk. And now all of a sudden, all these running backs, including Fournette, who is ground and pound and young and hungry and good. They have Shady McCoy. They have Rojo, uh, Ronald Jones, who's a, a really good back that people don't talk nearly enough about. And they have a kid that they drafted as well. So the Buck and, and they drafted a, 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 an offensive lineman stud in the first round. If Brady picks this thing up and he is any facsimile of his of himself, then the Buccaneers should have as good an offense as there is in the NFL, including everybody, including Lamar in Baltimore, including Mahomes in Kansas City. Why should anyone be better than what they have in Tampa? And their defense is phenomenal. They have a great... People don't talk enough about Todd Bowles. He is a great defensive coordinator. Ask any Jet fan. When he was the head coach of the Jets, he was the great defensive coordinator. He left a lot of other things to be desired, but he's right where he should be right now. He is a, an excellent defensive coach that is a sneaky, excellent defense. And they were a good offense last year. They, they won a bunch of games with Jameis throwing 30 picks. Brady's not, Brady hasn't thrown 30 picks in the last five years combined. So I think they're going to be unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. That's the team to watch. 
Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. I want to let you know my new TV show is up and running today on ESPN+. Plus. It is a a four-episode series. It's called Better Days, B-E-T-T-O-R. They are fun stories, if you're interested at all, in stories about gambling. You don't have to know much about gambling to appreciate the stories. We tell you about the wins and the losses, the highs and the lows. It's available on ESPN Plus right now. I think you'll really enjoy it. Let me know what you think of it. If you get a chance and you watch it on ESPN Plus, the first episode, as I say, is up there right now. It's about the Kentucky Derby of 2019 and one guy who has an unbelievable story about bets he placed on that race. Feel free to tweet at me. Use the hashtag Greeny. Let me know what you think of the show. I think it's a lot of fun, and I'm really proud of it. Then I want to talk about something that happened yesterday. So I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but you can look up the date. Mike and I are doing the show the day that Kirby Puckett died. And we took call after call from Minnesota. And I remember the one thing that someone said that really stuck out in my mind was he said, I'm a grown man and today I shed tears for someone I never met in my life. And I remember my friend Jason Stark said something similar when Harry Callis died in Philadelphia, the legendary voice of the Phillies, there is an attachment that many of us make to our sports heroes that is so personal and so important that I think that you, as an adult, you, you can cry for someone you never met, literally cry for someone you never met. When Joe DiMaggio died, I was afraid to call my father. I was in a newsroom. I got the word that he had died. And I was, I was, my fingers were shaking as I called my dad. My dad idolized Joe DiMaggio. My dad grew up in New York in the Bronx in the 40s. And he loved Joe DiMaggio the way only a kid can love his favorite ball player. And so that's why I imagine that in New York today, and I guess all over this country, there are grown men and women crying for Tom Seaver. I grew up in New York in the 70s. I'm not old enough to remember 1969. But I'm very much aware of what the 69 Mets mean to the people who loved that team, to fans of baseball in New York, to to Met fans. The 69 Mets are that special, unique something. There's no way to, to, there's no words you can use to adequately describe it. And there's really no way to understand it unless you're a sports fan. What a team can mean to a city and to a fan. And the 69 Mets are one of those teams. And Tom Seaver is the 69 Mets. And Tom Seaver is the greatest player the Mets ever had, and it's not even close. But Tom Seaver was something more than that as well. Growing up as a kid in New York in the 70s, Tom Seaver was a name that you mentioned with a degree of awe. He was much more than a ball player. He was a hero. He was a legend. He was like mythical. Tom Seaver achieved that status. He was more than just a great player. There have been greater players in the history of sports, but there have been very few that meant more than he did. And so I'm talking to the fans in New York today and expressing my legitimate condolences to those of you old enough to have loved Tom Seaver because I know it feels like you lost a member of the family. And then I'm talking to everyone across the country today to say, if you love sports, you know what that is. You know who Tom Seaver is. We just talked about Brett Favre a couple of weeks ago on this show, the way fans loved him, loved him, and the way someday they will cry for him.
when we lose him. I hope that's not for a really long time. And I know who those people are for me in my life, and Seaver is not one of them. I, I'd never met him. I certainly admired the heck out of him. And I send along my, my, my deepest condolences to his family, to his friends, to all of his former teammates. But I know how those fans feel today. I know that there are people out there today who are, who are adults, who are crying for a man they never met. So I'm sorry for all of you because Tom Seaver was a legend and he was a, an icon of my youth. And when someone like that goes, a little piece of you goes too. A little piece of my childhood went yesterday with Tom Seaver, gone at the age of 75. Again, my condolences to his family. I'm going to defend the most criticized man in sports for the second time in a week coming up here. Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money that's right 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com slash greenberg and use code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. that's prizepicks.com slash greenberg code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy The greatest New York Met ever. That's how Tom Seaver's being described on the night his passing was announced. He was the baseball hero in New York after Mickey Mantle. When Seaver was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1992, he received 98.84% of the vote. Who were the 1.16? Seaver was the most confident athlete I ever met. He drove that team to go from the worst team in sports to the world champions. Remembering Tom Seaver, Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting small businesses with specialized coverages for commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Talked about him a lot on TV this morning. Talked about him just here a moment ago. A couple of tweets here. Again, you can always tweet at me. Just use the hashtag Greeny and I'll see it. Star tweets at me. My first ever baseball was signed by Tom Seaver. My dad gave me as a kid. Nancy Trowbridge tweets at me. Greeny, I became a fan of Tom Seaver. Due to my fifth grade teacher who loved sports, read a book about Seaver, learned to read baseball box scores following Seaver, became a sports fan from that point forward. What a lifetime gift. Tears today. 
That's what I meant. That's what I said and meant. Uh, adults, grown men and women crying today for a person they never met. I remember the day Mickey Mantle died. I was hosting a talk show in Chicago with the former bear, Doug Buffone, who's no longer with us, who was a dear friend, one of the great guys you could ever meet. Doug Buffone grew up in Pennsylvania playing both baseball and football, wound up playing linebacker in the NFL for years. But he told me that he wore number seven when he was growing up because he was a Mickey Mantle fan and he loved Mantle. And he, um, he was so emotional that day and we just took phone calls. And that wasn't in New York, that was in Chicago. And you, what, what Mickey Mantle meant to so many people everywhere. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the day again. Mike and I were on the day Kirby Puckett died. And now this with, with Tom Seaver, that's, um, there's an emotional bond and an attachment that we make, particularly in our youth, but really maybe at other times in our lives, I think especially in our youth, to the athletes that we most admire. And, and so that's why I think there are people walking around New York today and, and all points uh, in this country, I think, um, with tears in their eyes for a man they never met, but, but legitimately loved nonetheless. Meanwhile, on to other matters. Um, for the second time in a week, I'm going to defend someone who I think has been the most frequently criticized person in sports lately. And that person is Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. You know, it's funny. I, I like watching the way things go sometimes. I, I find it amusing now. Because people like Rob Manfred and all the commissioners in these sports and all the people who are in positions of authority and power like that, they make, I, I don't know how to count the number of decisions they make a day or a week or a month that are being heavily scrutinized. And no, there's no way any of them are ever, not only is there no way they're not going to get all of them right, but there's even more so no way they're going to make sure that they're going to make decisions everyone agrees with. So what happens is when you get one or two wrong, and I think Manfred clearly made a mistake or two along the way during the buildup to this season, you just become a fashionable target of criticism and it becomes never-ending. And people just decide, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. And the answer is, yes, he does. He knows what he's doing. He may have gotten some things wrong because people get things wrong. When you make 100 decisions, if you get 90 of them right, you're batting a pretty good percentage. But when the one of them that you miss is a really big one, then that sticks. And that has stuck with Manfred a little bit. And people have been giving him the business about the way he handled the Astros thing. And I told you last week, I defended him then. I think he did the right thing. It was not perfect. But in that case, he didn't let perfect be the enemy of good. So I defend him on that. And I totally defend him on what he did yesterday. When I first talked about Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, threatening, openly threatening the batters of the Yankees after Aroldis Chapman threw a 101-mile-an-hour pitch directly over the head of one of the Tampa Bay Rays. And Kevin Cash went crazy and said the Yankees had mishandled that. And people said, well, Greeny, you're more upset about what the manager said than what the pitcher did. I was upset about all of it. And I said yesterday on this show, you can't have that. If you're baseball, you can't allow this to happen. We have enough stuff happening in the world. We don't need pitchers throwing 101 miles an hour at someone's head and the opposing manager saying, I've got three guys in my bullpen that can throw 98 and leaving it there. It's just a, an unhidden threat. So you see what Manfred did yesterday? He suspended all of them. He suspended all of them. He suspended Chapman, I think I don't have it in front of me, three games, I think, and both managers got a game, Boone and Cash. I say exactly the right thing to do. 
exactly the right thing to do. No, don't play games. Just do it. We all know what happened. There's no, this is not a time for interpretation, plausible deniability. Well, Kevin Cash can say, I didn't really threaten anybody. And Chapman can say, I wasn't really throwing at anybody. You know what? You throw a 101 mile an hour pitch that close to someone's head. If, if it was unintentional, maybe that's an even bigger problem. So as far as I'm concerned, the suspension there was good. The suspension for cash was right. You cannot be the manager and be making bold threats to have your guys throwing 98 miles an hour at the other guys. And I'm not sure exactly why Aaron Boone got suspended, but why not? I'm good with all of it. I'm defending Manfred. I think it was the right thing to do. I also loved the NBA finding Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart two nights ago had the best game I've ever seen him have in his life. He scored 16 consecutive points at one stretch in the fourth quarter. He knocked down five threes. He was unconscious. And Smart is a terrific player. Smart is the kind of guy who is never the best player on the team, but is, is as often as anyone else, the reason his team wins. Marcus Smart reminds me in some ways of Dennis Rodman. I covered Rodman when he was a bull. And Smart reminds me a little bit of him. And very rarely is he going to knock down five threes in a quarter as he did in that game. But he was the best player on the floor that night. And I, he's the kind of guy that you hate him if you root against the team. But boy, is he a valuable player to have. But he had a flop in that game that made me almost want to throw something at the television. And if you've ever listened to me before, you watch my TV show, I hate flopping in the NBA. I hate it. I hate it. Flopping in the NBA drives me crazy. It is the opposite of what sports should be. It is everything bad about sports. And it's gotten to be so awful because my son grew up playing basketball all through the years. This is his senior year of high school, and I have a feeling he's not going to get to play, which breaks my heart, and we'll talk about that another time. The idea that I've gone to my last game of his, because he's not going to play in college, the idea that I've seen him play his last game will make me cry because he's been playing organized basketball since he was in third grade. But that aside, I've watched a ton of, of AAU basketball, middle school basketball, and high school basketball. And all these kids do it. All these kids. They sell fouls. They flop. It's awful. It's awful to watch. And it is exclusively because the guys in the NBA do it. So I hate it. So I was thrilled that Marcus Smart, who had the game of his life, game of his life, and he, I'm not taking anything away from that guy. He's a terrific player. But I love that they find him for the flopping. Flopping is a terrible thing. That's why golf is the best sport. Because in golf, you call penalties on yourself. You're not trying to fool a ref. You're not trying to trick someone into making a call. You're not falling down like you've just like there's a sniper in the building when someone breathes in your direction and maybe brushes against you. The flopping is terrible. And it's why I tend to give refs a break because players are spending half their time purposely trying to fool them. Not last night, notwithstanding. But so I liked that. So I got, I got good things to say about two commissioners today. I like what Manfred did in that case, and whoever it is that's making that decision to find the flop in the Celtic game, I'm in favor of that too. NBA continues tonight. We'll talk more about that. NFC East is the poll today. We'll get to that in just a minute. And Scottie Pippen is trending now. If you don't know why, you will in a minute, and you will hear. Richard Jefferson was here when Scottie Pippen tweeted what he did about RJ. You will hear what RJ said next. I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. 
How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. My poll question today on Twitter was, who do you think is going to win the NFC East? 50% of those of you who responded picked the Cowboys. Let me look at the numbers here. It was 50% Cowboys. The Eagles were next, and it's not a surprise. 50% Cowboys, 36% Eagles, 8% Giants, 6% the Washington football team. Poll just closed. 50% Dallas. I picked the Eagles, and I picked them for one reason. Can't trust Dallas. Can't do it. I've listened to Stephen A. I've had, I've had Stephen A. on my show too many times and heard him say, you just can't trust him, and I just can't do it. The Eagles are decimated by injuries again. Now, I'm a huge Carson Wentz believer, but he gets hurt every year. If he stays healthy, he's an MVP candidate, and I think they're a Super Bowl contender. But they, they need him not to be the only man standing. I, the, the injuries in Philadelphia definitely give me pause. But I'm not going to change my pick. I've been saying Philly for weeks and weeks now, so I'll stay with it although the injuries definitely concern me. Anyway, 50% of the people who voted, and thank you for voting, picked the Cowboys. Let's finish it up today with, uh, by catching you up on a story that's been trending since last night. So uh, Richard Jefferson, who is a terrific friend and a terrific analyst and was a great player, is watching Giannis last night, and he tweets, Giannis is a Pippin. There I said it. He needs his Jordan. And the world went crazy. And I had RJ on TV this morning, and he talked about exactly what he meant. And I got it. He wasn't in any way trying to diminish Giannis for two reasons. One, calling someone Scottie Pippen is hardly diminishing them. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And secondly, what he really meant was he may not be the guy who's going to make the big shot for you at the end of the game. And he pointed out Shaq wasn't that guy. When Shaq and Kobe were together and RJ played against them in the finals, When Shaq and Kobe were together, Shaq was the best player on the floor for 44 minutes. And then you gave the ball to Kobe in the last four. And they won three straight championships doing that. So that's what he meant. But in in so doing, he hurt Scottie Pippen's feelings. Scottie, I think, is sensitive to that stuff. And so RJ was on with me here, and he clarified what he meant. This was Richard Jefferson earlier this morning about Scottie Pippen. This is how much I love Scottie. Well, I was on the jump a couple of days, uh, about a week ago, and I was like, Scotty, you know what? I've never had an opportunity because I don't really know anybody that was on that 72-win team Bulls. But how appreciative are you that we maintained your guys' record as the greatest team of all time because we beat the Warriors? <laughs> and he goes, Richard, I'm so appreciative of that. And I'm like, you know what? It's, it's an honor that you're a legend. And that's funny. I love I look. So Richard has told me many times before this came up, that Scottie Pippen was his idol as a kid. 
And he apologized on the air. He said, he said here, I, f- I feel bad and I apologize for using his name there in a way that made it seem like I was saying something I didn't mean to. So I, I thought you should hear that because Scotty's name is now trending. And I get it. Scotty is sensitive to that stuff. And I understand why. Richard definitely didn't mean to insult him. And he didn't mean to insult Giannis. But Twitter is a place where your meaning is not always that easy to decipher. And that sort of became a little bit of a firestorm. So that is what it is. That's what RJ said here. RJ also was on with me this morning when we got the news, the breaking story that uh, Steve Nash has been hired as the coach of the Nets, which surprised me and I think surprised a lot of people just because, to my knowledge, no one was talking about it. No one saw it coming. It was Steve Kerr, Mark Jackson, uh, those were guys that I remember during their careers and covering them, and you knew they'd be coaches someday, or at least you suspected they'd be coaches someday. I don't know that people felt that way about Nash. One way or another, he's the coach now. Richard Jefferson knows him well and does net games locally on TV. So I asked him his thoughts on Steve Nash becoming the new coach of the Nets. Here's what RJ said. Steve Nash is an individual that knows his game very well. He has a personal relationship with Kevin Durant. I think Kyrie, um, I believe, knows him fairly well. There's never been a person that has ever said anything negative about Steve Nash. He has elevated everyone's game who he's ever played with because he understands the game from that standpoint. So Steve Nash does fit the profile of these guys who get coaching jobs, uh, which is that he was a point guard. Generally speaking, these point guards, they see the floor, they understand the game. They're like catchers in baseball. Catchers tend to become managers and point guards tend to become coaches. So here's what I'll say about Nash. I don't know him personally at all. I've I've met him a time or two, but I, I don't know him at all. But A, everyone loves him. B, obviously Durant has more than signed off on this because Nash was working in the Warriors organization when Durant was there. And I saw a video today of Nash and KD like working out together. So clearly they know each other. So KD obviously is good with this. And I think Nash will handle the pressure of the New York thing well, because he's an easygoing guy and he's a very good guy. And I think people will like him. So I'm not worried about that. But what I will say is, I think the pressure is enormous because I think the expectation is win the conference. Anything less than that, if Durant is healthy, I think is a disappointment. Look at the East. The Bucks are obviously flawed around Giannis. Here we are having this whole conversation all day long. The Raptors are good, but they're not great. The Celtics, maybe they take another step forward and become the best team in the East. I think they're going to win the East this year. The Heat, I guess if the Heat got another player. But who are we afraid of? If you've got a healthy Kevin Durant and a healthy Kyrie Irving... I think the Nets, plus Levert and Dinwiddie and all those guys, I think the Nets are the best team in the the Eastern Conference, like that. They go from being a team that we applauded for getting into the playoffs to being a team for whom the expectation is to go deep in the playoffs. I think anything short of the NBA Finals will be seen as a disappointment. So that's a lot of pressure for guys never coached before. Now, Larry Bird did that with the Pacers. He took over the Pacers he had never coached before, and he was great. He did great. Steve Kerr goes without saying. But he's done in Golden State. There have been examples of this working and not working. But he takes over a team that has championship-level expectations. Durant and Kyrie absolutely should win the East with the collection they have around them and the right coach. So we'll see if Steve Nash is the right coach. 
All right, I thank you for spending this day with me. We've got a lot to do. It's a busy time. More basketball tonight. The NFL season is a week away. I'll see you tomorrow morning on Get Up at 8 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. If you get a chance, check out my new show, Better Days, B-E-T-T-O-R Days. It's on ESPN+. Plus. I'm really proud of it. I think you'll like it. And we'll see you tomorrow. Greeny, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network.